0: Good morning. This was uh, very glorious. I was sure that the rapture was uh, coming on at the end of this hymn. Um, note that I have dropped New Covenant Theology from the title because uh, when I was done with uh, dealing with dispensational theology, uh, well, I had already more than uh, my time, time span, so... Um, so here's the plan for my presentation this morning: <clears throat> two points, two big points. First, we'll deal again with uh, history, with the history, the origin, development, and impact of uh, dispensationalism, and then we'll do uh, some comparison with the Baptist covenant theology under uh, four different headings: the biblical terminology, the true replacement theology, the church, and the time of the nations and the reign. Of Christ. Before uh, we go further, let's ask our Lord's blessing. Our Father, uh, we are blessed to be uh, gathered again in your presence to worship you and also to uh, pay attention to uh, the things of your kingdom, um, to the coming of our Lord and to uh, the covenants um, and the specific covenant of your grace. In the new covenant, and we pray that you will help us think through these issues. That you will keep us humble as we compare different systems of theology. That we uh, won't be puffed up with pride, but uh, humble as we talk about other views that we don't necessarily uh, hold to. Uh, let us be uh, do it with uh, respect and humility in front of you, and may you bring us light and understanding by your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, there's a book that was published lately uh, by Daniel Hummel called The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism. Um, it, it was just published uh, in the, the, this year. I have not read it, uh, but um, I have listened to two interviews of uh, the author, one on the London Lyceum podcast with Jordan Stefaniak. Uh, it was dated November uh, uh, t- 2022, so if you uh, want to find that, this podcast. And another one is Thinking in Public with uh, Dr. Albert Muller, uh, last August. Um, very interesting uh, interviews uh, about this book and about how dispensationalism uh, rise and eventually uh, as uh, uh, Not disappear, it has not disappeared, but it's not on the rise anymore, I think. It's more on the decline. Uh, But what impact it had on the church, especially in uh, the United States. So uh, I think you will appreciate uh, these interviews or this book. So um, John Nelson Darby, his dates are uh, 1800 to 1882, uh, is often seen as the father of dispensational. Uh, theology. Uh, of course, uh, everything that he taught was not original with him, but he's really the one who kind of put things together with a system of dispensation uh, to uh, structure the revelation of God and the kingdom or the different administrations, because this is really what it is. It's God... Is ruling and is establishing some some different dispensation with man and different plans, and usually it comes to an end by uh, some some uh, mistakes, some some uh, disobedience of man, and uh, God needs to start something something else that He was doing. And total, there's seven dispensation, and you need to. Uh, know in which dispensation this Bible verse goes and this is uh, how it works. So, John Nelson Darby was a teacher amid the Plymouth brethren uh, after leaving the Anglican Church Uh, and he is known especially for his literal Bible translation. Uh, You will find three original uh, Darby Bible, one in German and French and in English, Uh, that Darby translated himself, but there are three more uh, that he is not the translator, but that were based or inspired by the same example in Swedish, Dutch, and Italian. And uh, This Darby Bible is really known for its literal translation. Darby wanted to make uh, a Bible that really reflect exactly the original uh, Hebrew and Greek text. Uh, so usually it's a very uh, squarely translation. I don't know if it's popular at all in English, but it is uh, very much popular, not not the most popular in French, but uh, there's a lot of uh, readers that are still using this Bible translation uh, in French. And also it has served... For other translation and, and, and different dialect in the world, when the translator doesn't know the original languages, they will use the Darby Bible to translate that, assuming that this is literal, so they can translate it from uh, this uh, French text to uh, other uh, African languages. Um, <clears throat> and his uh, philosophy of literalism Uh, was not applied only to its translation, but also to uh, its interpretation, to Darby's interpretation of the Scripture. Uh, And sometimes the the literal translation and the literal uh, interpretation will overlap. For instance, when uh, he's translating the word ecclesia in Greek, uh, which is often translated church, never in the Darby translation you will find the word church. Uh, For him, it's only assembly the ecclesia, uh, because he rejected the idea of the, you know, the, the church as people knew it, uh, as this uh, religious structure uh, for him, it was not biblical, the, the church literally for him is just an assembly, even though if it's talking in some texts about the universal church, it's, it's still the assembly, the, the assembly of God, uh, and he has really... Uh, this view of the, the, the Plymouth Brethren of the church is just an assembly. And um, so his philosophy of uh, literal translation, literal uh, interpretation, um, is uh, a response to what Darby saw as a compromise uh, that came from the Enlightenment, uh, where reason was opposed put against uh, opposition with, with faith and religion, and uh, now we're enlightened, and uh, we, we have reason that is supreme, and, and Darby taught that, uh, well, that's, that was the wrong way to approach the Scripture, and we should not put reason over the Bible but submit our reason to the Scripture and and the the proper way to do that was to uh, interpret the text literally uh, and not trying to be uh, more wise than the Scripture with our reason and making Scripture say what it doesn't say or correct here and there by our reason. He wanted to take the text as it is and just submit his mind. So, we can, afterward, you know, sometimes we, we judge dispensational theology as being too strict in the way it applied literalism, but we have to put it, that in context. It was really an attempt to fight against the influence of humanism and enlightenment. Um, and this uh, literalism is at the, uh, at the, uh, the foundation of what constitutes the basic system of dispensations, I think. Um, The the basic idea is that um, there are different time frames, and uh, 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 what we need to distinguish, uh, basically, uh, it's Israel and the church. Uh, They are not the same thing. And um, when the Bible is using the word Israel, it doesn't mean the church. We cannot spiritualize the term. We cannot apply that to uh, what the Bible calls Ecclesia, Israel is Israel. It is something different. So you see how uh, literalism, uh, you have this term, and in every instance of the term, it means Israel. Um, so therefore, uh, when the Bible talks about Israel, and if it talks about uh, the church, they're not in the same thing, and they're not in the same period of God's dealing with them, God's kingdom. So this idea of being literal with the terminology brought this idea of, well, they each have their own dispensation. Um, and this distinction between church and Israel, uh, because dispensational theology, is, it's difficult to narrow it down, but the, the main uh, uh, characteristic, I would say, is this distinction between church and Israel. Uh, so, it's, it's literalism approach to that that brought uh, this system. Darby traveled a lot during his days to, uh, and helped to, to, to promote his system of interpretation and try to popularize it, but it really became influential after him. And uh, especially here in North America by uh, the influence of the Schofield Bible, the reference Schofield Bible, that uh, popularized dispensationalism. So the Schofield Bible was put together by a man named uh, Cyrus Ingerson Schofield, C.I. Schofield. His dates are 1843, 1921. So he's an American, and he was ordained to uh, ministry uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, to a congregational church in 1883. And he was aware of the the Darby system uh, that was not really called dispensational uh, or dispensationalism at that time. Eventually, the the terminal, the, the, this term, the specific term, uh, came on. Um, but the system of interpretation of putting different time frame, uh, distinct from one another, he put that into uh, the uh, uh, references. Uh, Of of this Bible that he published in 1909. There was a revised edition that is uh, the the, the last edition of the Schofield Bible in 1917 and uh, it widely circulated by the the time of Schofield's death in 1921 there was already 1 million copies of the Schofield Bible and by 1960 there were about 10 million copies of um, this by Schofield Bible. So this is really massive, and what it, it produced is it allowed dispensational theology to uh, be right there, directly in the, 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 the Bible when the readers of the Bible were reading Scripture while well, they read it through this lens, through this system of interpretation. Um, and so when when you have notes, we need to be careful, but because uh, when you have any notes and all that uh, that are there with the text of the, the Scripture, people tend to uh, take it as well the Word of God. So uh, dispensationalism really became a feature of uh, evangelicalism in the 20th century, mainly because of the Schofield Bible uh, influence. But that was not all. Of course, there were uh, several Bible... Uh, institutes and seminaries that adopted dispensationalism the Modi Bible Institute in Chicago and especially uh, not too far from here the Dallas Theological Seminary uh, that was uh, really the the fortress of uh, dispensationalism. Uh, I had a teacher in Montreal that was trained here in Dallas uh, in the 1980s and he said that back then you could not receive your uh, diploma, your degree, if you did not confess dispensationalism, um, and uh, really, this uh, the the high days of dispensationalism came uh, in the midst of the controversy between the the, the fundamentalist and the modern modernist controversy, uh, where the, the modernists were uh, leaning about a, a little bit with uh, the the liberal. Uh, theology and feminism and you know we need to reinterpret and actualize for the the modern era our view of the Bible and the, the fundamentalists who were uh, saw themselves as the the faithful the the crusader who will defend the word of God against the liberals and 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 Dispensational theology was associated with being faithful. We're taking Scripture literally. We're being faithful. We're not letting uh, man distort the scripture and making it say what it doesn't say. Uh, we're the literalist. We're the faithful. Um, so that's why uh, you could not uh, be recognized as a, a master of divinity or having a, any degree from Dallas if you were not a dispensationalist because uh, it, was, it, it was connected with being uh, faithful to the Scriptures. Um, but really the, there was uh, several preachers, writers, theologians that were the popularizer of uh, dispensational theology. Several men, so you have a school field that I really, uh, already mentioned. The first ones I'll, I'll name these men um, from left to right, top to bottom. Uh, and after that we have uh, Lewis Perry Schaefer. These are not uh, all the, the, the main uh, dispensational teachers, but uh, there are several others, but those are, are really associated with what we can call classic dispensational theology. So Lewis Perry Schaefer, founder of Dallas Theological Seminary, published eight volumes, Systematic Theology, that really uh, uh, is, is is giving theology from a dispensational point of view. Uh, his successor, John F. Walvoord, uh, um, who wrote extensively on eschatology. Um, there was also Charles Ryrie, um, who was a teacher uh, there at Dallas, author of the classic work Dispensationalism today, uh, renamed just Dispensationalism. In 1965, you have the last edition in 2007. It counts uh, 272 pages. Uh, Then you have uh, someone like Al Lindsay, Uh, who was born in Houston in 1929. He's more a popularizer uh, than a theologian, but he's known for his his work, The Late Great Planet Earth in 1970, who was a massive bestseller uh, that sold out 35 million copies. You know what? I don't think if we put together all the Reformed Baptist books published in the world that we have 35 million copies. (laughs) Um, so this tells you just an idea of the the, the impact of of this worldview, and I guess uh, there was something really um, uh, that make, me, captured uh, the the fervor, the eschatological fervor of this day, because uh, in this book, um, um, Al Lindsay has predicted the the rapture that would come around uh, 1988, after 40 years, a generation after the establishment of uh, Israel. Um, and you have also Tim LaHaye, um, who is co-author with uh, Jerry Jenkins, the father of the, the known uh, Dallas Jenkins, who's a producer of the popular uh, The Chosen series. Uh, so uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins are co-author of the uh, book uh, fiction series. They, they published 16 books, I was not aware of that, of the Left Behind series. Uh, on rapture and tribulation, and you know there was also some some movie uh, with uh, that that series, and um, so I um, uh, yeah so this is really uh, they had a, a major impact on the imagination on the understanding uh, of the evangelical church, especially in America, but not just there. And all the the Protestants alike, Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, many denominations were uh, impacted by this view. Uh, It was critique also. It was not just uh, received positively. There were some critique, um, and and, uh, especially because they they saw it as... um, Separating a bit too artificially uh, the, the the scripture and different uh, period of the the the, the, <clears throat> the kingdom of God. And uh, so the critique brought a more nuanced approach to dispensationalism uh, that we call progressive or modified dispensationalism. Um, and we have men like uh, Craig Blazing, Daryl Bach, John MacArthur that uh, would define themselves not as classic dispensational theologian, but uh, uh, even I think MacArthur calls himself a, a leaking dispensationalist. Uh, so he's, he's, he's not fully... Uh, adopting the system. Um, they, they accept the separation of Israel and the church as two distinct entities with, with two different plans but they really want to put forward one way of salvation. They accept the already and not yet of the, the kingdom of God and the idea that there's ultimately just one people of God um, but they still have an approach with the, the literal hermeneutics and and making a, a stronger uh, distinction between church and Israel. Um, so, um, we can put the, the next slide. Uh, so, this is a, a visual of uh, what dispensational theology looks like. So, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's simple or complicated. Um, <laughs> uh, it's simple in a sense, well, everything fits into... One of the seven dispensations, and uh, you need to uh, connect uh, the verse where 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 it goes. And uh, uh, so, uh, does the Sermon on the Mount talks about the the dispensation of the church or the millennial uh, the dispensation that will come later on, uh, and, and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, it's a bit complicated when you go, especially toward the end, uh, how the Lord will, will come and the, 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 the secret coming with the rapture and first resurrection then an, another resurrection. And it's a bit of a complicated system. But my main critique would not be that it's too complicated. I don't think that covenant theology is, is that simple, even though we want to uh, keep it simple. Um, I think dispensational theology really unitched the Christian faith from the Old Testament. To uh, take the Andy Stanley uh, expression, um, well, he was he was trying to unitch uh, the, the the Christian faith uh, for, from the Old Testament, and he was critiqued for that. But that's what I see dispensational theology doing. Uh, Old Testament, it's not your dispensation, you Christians. Uh, You can just care about the New Testament, and uh, you don't have to to read the Old Testament. You won't find anything about the church and your faith into this book because it was a mystery. It was not revealed back then. So uh, they are also kind of rebuilding the wall of separation uh, that was teared down, uh, Ephesians 2, uh, 14. And our brother yesterday said that, well, you know, this the the ultimate plan was to bring uh, everything together under Christ and the Jews and the Gentiles as one people united. But with dispensational theology, now we're saying uh, the 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 Jews are on a separate um, uh, kingdom. It's the people of God or the spouse of of Christ. Uh, two different destiny, and 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 we should not mix those together. Um, what I see from my Dispensational friend is that they have a I would call it a vulnerability to eschatological fervor and mind shaking and strange influence. They were uh, really freaking out during pandemic, and uh, every time there's something happening with Israel, they're looking for signs and uh, they're interpreting the Bible through the news channels and stuff like that. And I I always thinking about Paul who's saying to the Thessalonians, well. Not be quickly shaken in your mind or being alarmed uh, regarding the end days and 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 the the, the uh, event of the Lord. Um, and uh, I think this uh, eschatological fervor and uh, makes them a bit vulnerable to to many strange influence and different theories. Uh, and what I see also is a a big lack of appreciation for God's consistency, uh, seeing God's uh, uh, unity in his revelation, uh, not having a plan B, plan C, and and, and and on, but one plan. And even though there's some discontinuity we need to account for, uh, there's really uh, a unity that they, they, they seem to have a hard time to, to see. And, and this brings also a, a problem for, for the doctrine of God himself. Is God consistent? Uh, is God coherent? Uh, and, and 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 can we really uh, trust Him? Is He in control, or is He always having to uh, change His mind or change His, his plan? Uh, there's a lack of appreciation for Christ's fulfillment of prophecy and uh, regency. Um, how they they will see the the first coming? Well, that's that was not it. It's, it's a bit like Israel. You know, they were expecting a, a kind of of Messiah and a kind of a, a kingdom, and Jesus was was not that political. Uh, Messiah that we're expecting, and I see dispensationalists uh, a bit doing the same thing. Well, that's the first coming. Uh, well, that's not what was prophesied, and and then we need to to look forward to another millennial kingdom uh, in order to say that the Old Testament prophecy are, are, are fulfilled. Well, the New Testament says they are fulfilled, and, uh, and maybe you should uh, change your interpretation of those prophecies and understand how they really were fulfilled uh, rather than uh, imposing your, your literal grid on, on the interpretation. Um, but we'll come to that. So I just want now to uh, go on the comparison with uh, Baptist covenant theology and... Um, with uh, you know that complicated system that we saw, I was not sure on what aspect of dispensationalism to uh, to, to 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 focus, uh, and I didn't want to get lost in many details. So I decided to zero in on what is still what I think the major component of dispensationalism. It is the distinction between Israel and the church. That you are a classic dispensationalist or a uh, modified, revised, or leaking dispensationalist. I think this is still the main feature. The way you will approach the connection with Israel and the church. Um, so let's compare uh, that with um, the, the Baptist Covenant Theology. And interestingly, uh, th- um, there is a chart that you will find on the 1689federalism.com website. Uh, there are several charts, I-, I think three. One that compares our view with uh, pedo-baptism, what with new covenant theology, and one with dispensational theology. Um, and, and, and the first thing that I noticed was uh, the, the agreement um, well, regarding Israel and, and uh, on both sides, you have disagreement uh, and, 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 and agreement. Um, so 1699 Federalists, uh, what they will affirm regarding Israel is that uh, the national Israel was a type of the Church of Christ. And um, the Church of Christ is the true Israel. So in the national Israel you already had the remnant that was really the, the church under the Old Testament, if you want to use that terminology. Um, and the, the, the entire nation was a type of the, 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 the future church that was going to be established on its own covenant when uh, the, the covenant mediator would, would be manifested. Um, so this, they disagree with that because they will say, uh, Israel and the church are two different peoples of God with two different purposes and, and destinies. So Israel cannot just be a type and it cannot contain the, uh, the true Israel that is the, uh, the church in infancy that would become the, uh, the, the church, established church of the new covenant. But where we agree is that the national Israel and the church were constituted differently. And this is... Um, uh, disagreement that we do have with uh, the Pedobaptist, Baptist, the Presbyterian, uh, they, they they tend to see Israel as the church under age. This, this is the expression that the Westminster Confession uh, use in uh, chapter nineteen, paragraph three. Israel is the church under age, and 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 when you compare with our confession, they rejected that expression. Um, the Presbyterians tend to see an identity between the church and Israel. As we saw yesterday, they, they justify their national uh, ecclesiology, mixed church, pedo-baptism by Old Testament, by the, 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 the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, they, don't, they, they, they see identity between them since uh, they are in the same covenant of grace. Well, a particular Baptist saw Israel... Under, not the covenant of grace, but under the covenant of circumcision. And the covenant of circumcision uh, is not a universal covenant of grace that would include Gentiles. It's really a specific Jewish covenant. God really um, uh, took Abraham's family and set it apart because he wanted to keep uh, this line pure. Uh, because he promised to a specific seed of this family uh, that through this seed the blessing to all the nations would come, and to keep his promise, God has put Abraham's family under a very strict covenant that had a, a really um, uh, that was a separation between this family and the rest of of the world. So they had some some positive. Um, regulations that didn't allow them to mix with the nations uh, and that gave to them really a, a distinct character that made them Jewish, made them their, their, their Jewishness. Uh, the circumcision and all the dietary regulations, um, the, the, the the clothing and the, um, the connection they could have with the Gentiles was there to uh, separate them. So I don't think we can uh, see this uh, covenant that they had as a, a, a universal covenant of grace. It was really a Jewish covenant uh, there to keep God's promise because God intended to use this people to bring forth his, his plan by bringing the Messiah through um, this Old Testament arrangement, and and in this. We do agree with dispensationalists that um, the, the foundation of Israel and the church are, are two separate things, even though they're intertwined and connected uh, by types and antitypes and, and God is not doing uh, two, two major plans separated. Uh, there's a unity in the history, but there's not identity in the covenant. See how I, I'm really uh, taking on your terminology, brother. Um, so... Let's just uh, tackle this comparison of uh, Baptist covenant theology and dispensational theology uh, uh, distinguishing Israel and the church uh, under four different uh, headings. First, the biblical terminology. Um, So the strict distinction between Israel and the church comes from the literal hermeneutics uh, of dispensational theology. A Bible text, they say... uh, out to be interpreted literally unless there is specific indication that it ought to be symbolic. Um, if the Bible says a thousand years, well, we shouldn't, shouldn't take it uh, figuratively, symbolically. Thousand years means a thousand years. So it's talking about a, a millennial uh, reign. Uh, and if it has not happened in the past, well, it will happen in the future. Um, and if it talks about a first resurrection, well, first means chronologically first. So there will be uh, another resurrection that is not first, that will be second. And if it talks about 144,000 elects, and there are 12,000 from uh, the 12 tribes... Well, we need to understand that these uh, uh, 144,000 elects are Jewish people. Um, So they are there probably during uh, this uh, millennial or during the the, the tribulations. They will convert. Uh, So you see how literalism will uh, lead their interpretation. Um, And Israel and the church is also... Are not uh, interchangeable terms. If the Bible says Israel, it doesn't mean church. If it says church, it doesn't mean Israel. Um, Here's Philip Church um, that is uh, writing in an article published in the Westminster Theological Journal uh, about this um, uh, Israel church terminology. This so called normal inter interpretation leads to a rigid distinction between Israel and the church. For dispensational readers, the normal referent of the word Israel is the people of Israel, that is the Old Testament people of God, and the normal referent of the word church is the New Testament people of God. Obviously, when we uh, read Scripture, We see a distinction between the two, but we don't see always a rigid distinction every time the word Israel is used. For instance, when Scripture uses Israel in Romans 9 verse 6, I don't see how you can interpret that as meaning, in the two instances we have the word, the same Israel. Because Paul is saying, "For they are not all Israel that are of Israel." Well, is there a contradiction? If Israel always means Israel, and if there's only one Israel, and if you don't cannot spiritualize the term Israel, well, what does Paul mean? Well, he tells us what he means, uh, just two verses below, um, and there's no contradiction in his mind. He gives us this explanation of. Not Israel is Israel when he says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh. Okay, so you have Israel referring to the nation of Israel. The national Israel under the old covenant. But this is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Oh, being an Israelite didn't make you de facto a children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So this is the utter meaning of Israel. The children of the promise, the children of God are Israel in an utter sense. So there are among this national Israel a spiritual Israel that was, for the time of the Old Covenant, mainly composed of physical Israelites, of Jews. But there were some Jews who were just external Jews. They they were not internal. They didn't have the circumcision of the heart. So they were not the spiritual Israel. They were not the true Israel. They were just the physical posterity of Abraham and counted as the people of God in that sense with the parameters of the Old Covenant. But at the same time that this reality was going on, by the the efficacy of God's revealing the new covenant in promise form, there are some that had faith. By the Holy Spirit, they were regenerated, and they had their hearts circumcised, and they they were not only physical Israel, but spiritual Israel. So Paul is making a distinction. Of course, the Scripture does not always tell us... um, if it's talking about national or spiritual Israel. But we see here that it's not spiritualizing uh, the scripture. It's, it's taking scripture literally by respecting what it's affirming and making uh, its own distinctions. Uh, when we read, uh, we, we, we used yesterday Jeremiah 31. Let's read again the verse 30, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Here it talks about the new covenant people and the way they are defined. It's the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So, how do we do understand that we, the new covenant people, we are the house of Israel and the house of Judah? Well, if we can apply the idea that Paul is applying, that there is a spiritual way to understand the true Israel of God, uh, we need to say yes. But <clears throat> it also means that the promise of the gospel was first revealed to the Jew. And they were the first. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, were the first to be called to, be, to receive these oracles of the Lord and to have the offer of the promise and to have the offer to become this spiritual Israel. And this is what Paul is saying, there is an order in the preaching, Uh, we're calling every man the Jew first and then the Greek. So this is not spiritualizing Israel uh, prophecy by applying it to the church. At the end, we're seeing just one Israel of God that is being saved, the spiritual Israel that was contained in the national Israel, composed of Jews. But the plan of God was not to keep it just for the the Jewish nation, but to offer it to every nation, that they also could become the Israel of God. So, if Old Testament promise made to Israel first, to the Jew first, are being given to the church in the New Testament, does that mean that the church replaces Israel? Second um, point of comparison, the true replacement theology. We must be careful here because uh, replacement theology is a kind of uh, uh, buzzword um, to say uh, where anti-Semitism is going on here. We're trying to be against the, the Jews. And, and and we need to to uh, acknowledge that in the Christian uh, church, in the history of the Christian church, there was anti-Semitism. Uh, and uh, the, the Protestant Reformation is not uh, on rest over that. Um, <clears throat> but... Sometime it went a bit too far, um, this accusation. Uh, after the Holocaust, uh, the, the Jews were saying to the Christians, if you're trying to convert us to Christianity, you're anti semit and, 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 you know, feeling a bit guilty for what they've been going through, the, 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 the friendship with, with the Jews prevented some Christians to even want to convert. Jews to uh, to Christianity and then sometimes somehow to to develop an idea that uh, well they they're a part of the kingdom and then they're they're the they're the Israel of God and um, uh, so we want to evangelize them but but not too much and and I think this is very sad because it's depriving them of what is ultimately the real offer that was made to them from 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 the start. Um, God has not a, a Anything else to offer to the Jews uh, than he has to offer to any other nation. It is uh, his eternal kingdom offered in Jesus Christ, and it's through the new covenant, and it was presented to them first. They rejected it, um, but there's no other plan for them. <clears throat> so it quite often dispensationalists uh accused reformed a theologian of promoting a replacement theology. And usually the response, it's, it's not a replacement theology <clears throat> that we have. Uh, we're not saying that the church is replacing Israel at all. It's a fulfillment theology. We're saying that the church is the, is the fulfillment of, of what Israel was to become. It's the true kingdom that was promised to Israel, but it's not for Israel only. So it's also an expansion theology. It's for the Jew and everyone who wants to be part of that kingdom too. And this was also told by the the prophet of all that the nation would join with Israel uh, when the Messiah would come. So um, a Christian steals nothing from a Jew and receives nothing that was not offered to him first. As Christopher Wright uh, says here in uh, this um, chapter of this book, Christian Approach to Old Testament Prophecy Concerning Israel, he writes, Christ does not deprive the believing Jew of anything that belonged to Israel as God's people, nor does he give the believing Gentile anything less than the full covenantal blessing and promise that was Israel's. This being said that there's not a replacement of the, the, the Jew by, by, by the Christian. There is a theological replacement that is going on in uh, the New Testament era. And we need to understand it clearly. It is not an ethnical replacement. It is not a rejection of the, the Jewish race or nation and, and embracing all the others except the Jews. But there is a theological replacement. It's a covenantal replacement. It's, what I mean by that is that the old covenant was on the verge of being replaced by the new covenant. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, there was like an era, the apostolic era, where the, the new covenant was fully revealed. And at the same time, the old covenant was fading away, coming to an end. Uh, but it just... Disappear like that. It didn't just disappear like that. The nation of Israel was under an effective covenant with God when the Lord came. And this old covenant was not the covenant of grace. It had provision of blessings into the land of Canaan if they were going to be faithful to the covenant. But it also provision of cursing if they were not faithful. And when the new was established, the old was about to vanish away, Hebrews 8, 13. And the way it came, this vanishing away, was through a judgment. They rejected the Messiah that came to his own, and his own did not recognize him, they didn't accept him, they rejected him, and they crucified him, and that brought covenant curses upon them. Moses had prophesied, and we see that quote in Acts 3.23, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Here we have the Apostle Peter saying, uh, quoting Moses, uh, prophesying about the prophet that was to come. Jesus is this prophet, And whoever does not listen to him shall be destroyed from the people of God. There's a personal level um, dimension dimension of this judgment. It's the final judgment that everyone will have to face. Uh, There's an individual basis for the judgment. Each one will will face judgment and will... will, uh, either go to the uh, eternal damnation or eternal uh, bliss and, 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 and uh, benediction. But there's also a collective level of this judgment, I think, and that was brought forth upon the nation of Israel on a, a, a typological judgment that happened to them in 70 AD. During the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem, Um, if you pay attention to his discourse that he had in the temple and when he's confronting the rulers of the Jewish nation, he's really acting as a covenant prosecutor. Uh, just like Jeremiah did in his time before the fall of Jerusalem. He was prosecuting the nation and uh, all the uh, ungodly things and uh, unfaithfulness, especially of the leaders, but all those who covenanted with them or by following them. And Jeremiah was saying the destruction is coming upon Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying the the same. He's declaring that there will be a judgment. When he enters the temple, there's uh, this... um, how we say "colère" dans le temple? La colère dans le temple. When he's uh, turning the tables uh, over and uh, he's—I'm he's, sorry—cleansing cleansing the temple. Thank you. Well, this is a forecast of, of of God cleansing the temple, but cleansing it so much that he will destroy it, and 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 even his disciples will ask, "Well, do you see this?" those big uh, construction and those big uh, foundation. And he said, well, they won't be, um, uh, they won't stand up and, 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 and they will be uh, put to the ground. Uh, so he's prophesying a judgment. And then they say, uh, when will that come? And he's, he's starting to giving them signs. And at the end he said, it will come in your own generation. And I do interpret that not as a uh, final future judgment that has not, come yet, but as something that already happened in our time, but that was future for them. It was when the Romans' armies uh, entered into uh, the, 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 the Judean territory and destroyed completely the temple in Jerusalem, and it was the end of the, the Jewish nation in its own uh, territory, uh, and, and it took long before they, they, they came back to this, this land. Um, but Jesus is saying to this nation and to this generation that they will see the end of the temple, but not only of the temple. It will really be the end of the old covenant. And it will not just end just like that. It's finished. It will end in, 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 the, uh, in the terror of a judgment. He's saying in Luke 11, verse 49 to 52, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So the key of the knowledge is, is really the key that allows you to enter God's kingdom. It's by the understanding of the Scriptures. And those teachers of the law, they had a, a, a wrong understanding. And they were opposing to, to Christ and to the, the teacher that God was sending them. And they were... Um, uh, hindering those who wanted to enter God's kingdom and persecuting them, and Paul is announcing the same judgment upon the Jews in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. He's saying about them that they killed both. Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So the old covenant will finish by wrath, and this is provision that is already there in, 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 in the, the, the covenant text of the Old Testament, the Deuteronomical, especially, uh, uh, showing that uh, if they are being unfaithful, they will reap the wrath of the Lord. So it was not the eternal uh, judgment and wrath. This will be on, on an individual basis, but a, a typological judgment upon this nation um, that, that really came and that was prophesied by our Lord and His apostle. And we have to understand that the basis for that was not ethnical. It was covenantal. It's all those under the old covenant who refused to enter Christ's kingdom by acknowledging him as the true Messiah, the king of Israel and the world, and believing in him. If it was at Nicol, there would be no Jew in Christ's kingdom. But Paul is saying in Romans 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's saying, well, there are still Jews upon the true kingdom of Christ. They are the remnant saved by grace among the perishing Israel that is hardened and that is rejecting the, the Messiah, uh, they are the, like the, in, in the old, uh, 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 with, with Abraham and his, his, his son uh, Ishmael and, and Isaac, and Ishmael was persecuting uh, Isaac, and uh, these things are allegorical. There, there, and and there were pointing forward to this old covenant people who would be persecuting the new covenant people, uh, but they would be cast away, they wouldn't enter it with the spiritual people, uh, and that's what happened. Uh, And you see, these belong to two different covenants, intertwined but distinct, serving God's purpose. So, this is how uh, this is also um, why the church receives only the blessings and not the curses. Uh, Sometimes dispensationalists will say, well, you take all the blessings of the Old Testament and you apply it to the church, but you leave aside all the curses also that were there. Well, the blessings that you read in the Old Testament that was promised to Israel were not proper to the Old Covenant. They were the blessings of the New Covenant that was to come. And the New Covenant does not contain any curses, uh, for the New Covenant people. Uh, and this is also a response to some pedo-baptists that will see the New Covenant as containing blessings and curses, and it's a conditional covenant. That, that That's a mistake. The Old Covenant has its own blessings. They were typological, they were earthly, and they were conditional, and they were forfeited by this nation. And it has its curses that brought the Old Covenant and uh, Israel to an end. Um, so, what is there for uh, left for Israel now that the old covenant vanished away? Um, dispensational theology says that Israel was put on hold for the time of the nation. Well, their dispensation came on pause, and now we're in a parenthesis dispensation the church dispensation, and uh, it's the time of the nations. That's the, 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 the time span of this idea of dispensations that they're using to explain what happened. Uh, and they're using Luke 21:24 to say they will fall by the edge of the sword and led captive among the nations and Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles so it's talking about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD AD, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled so what they think is the time of the Gentiles the expression means uh, the time of grace the dispensation of grace offered to the Gentiles but I don't think the expression the time of the the nation uh, or the Gentiles uh, is that. It's talking about the future judgment that will come. Jesus says, now it's the time for Israel to receive its judgment of God. And it will be a picture of what God will do to the Gentiles later. It's the time of Israel to be under judgment, and the time of the nations will come later on. At the end of the days, the judgment, the universal judgment, will happen. So this judgment of Israel in 1780 was typological of the last judgment. And uh, this interpretation of the expression, "The time of the nations" is based on the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel 30 verse three. "For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near, it will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations." Um, Jesus is announcing. The, 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 the judgment for Israel followed by the judgment of the nation just like um, Jeremiah and in, back in, in, in uh, 586 BC uh, was saying that the time of the nation that were uh, uh, smashing Israel, well, their time would come. Uh, hear that in Jeremiah 27 verse 7. All the nations shall serve him, talking about Nebuchadnezzar and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. And what is the time of his land that that comes? Well, the many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So the time that is coming, it's not the dispensation of grace, but they will have their own time of judgment. So what happened to Israel after the, uh, the fall of the Old Covenant or the judgment of the Old Covenant? Well, Outside common providence, they have no more any special status, blessing, or covenant between them and God. What constituted them as the people of God in a covenant came to an end. And now they are like all other nations of the world. Don't they have a special place in God's future providence, you ask? And this is how many Uh, Even many among the Reformed will interpret the mystery of Romans 11 um, when Paul is saying that there's a mystery and uh, the the, the hardening of Israel is partial, uh, but they will at last all come to to faith and knowledge in Christ. Um, But whatever we think of that, and I'm I'm not opposed to this interpretation of Romans 11, uh, if they convert, they will not constitute another people of God. Uh, it, will, it won't be a Jewish church. They will join the, the church, uh, the only church and that was offered to them at first, and there will be only one church. Um, and that's what Jesus says in John 10, verse 16, uh, that uh, he has other sheep that are not of this fold, talking about the Israelite nation, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, let me conclude quickly uh, by saying that in front of the first coming of the Lord, dispensational theology tends to say, well, it's not as good as we were expecting it. Uh, The the kingdom, the rule on earth of the Messiah has not happened, therefore, it ought to be future. Uh, And they're looking forward to Messiah, the, 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 the future millennial kingdom for the messianic reign as if Jesus is not reigning right now and has not really accomplished what was promised. Well, God said to David that he would establish his throne forever and that one of his sons would rule over all, all nations. And I submit to you that this is not future. This is actual He's talking about the Messiah that would govern everything, and everything was put under his foot. Uh, Everything except God. He's over everything. He's above everything, everyone. Uh, So this is much more than what the Jews and the dispensationalists were expecting. They were expecting a ruler on earth at Jerusalem. Well, he's ruling from heaven over everything. This is what Hebrew tells us. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. It's, it's something we don't see, but we see him. For a while that was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We see him by faith. Some doesn't have the the eyes of faith to understand that. Uh, But what a glorious perspective. Our Lord is ruling. He has accomplished everything that was prophesied to him. I'm not saying there's no future hope. Of course, he will come again and and, and and now everyone will see. But his reign is actual. The son of David is king and he has been crowned and he's ruling right now. And this is also good, not just for dispensational theology, but for post-millennial culture warriors who can't believe that the kingdom of God is established unless they see something. Well, the first, the, 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 the first century church was highly persecuted. They were put to death. They were not winning the culture war. They were really on, 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 on the, 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 the end. and They were on the, the weak side. They were uh, being cast aside. And, and Paul is saying in all that, in Romans 8, 36, 37, we are more than conquerors. Not, we're conquerors when we have uh, the uh, establishment and when we rule and when we uh, have the political power and we influence, but as they are killing us and persecuting us, they cannot stop the church of Christ from conquering, not just being passive, but going forward and, 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 and conquering the, the, the devil's land by Christ's authority and preaching his word and making disciples. So this is truly how the kingdom of God, by using these these means of preaching uh, the Lord, preaching his name and preaching his his gospel, that is, it's going forward and nothing, no power and no uh, persecution can stop that from happening. And this is really how we will win the cultural war by preaching the word of the Lord. We're more than conquerors. So I hope you see that this is not future. We're Christ is ringing and we're, we're ruling with Him, even though we're persegu- persecuted on the visual, visible side of this. But see that with the eyes of faith. You're more than conquerors. And very soon, every eye will see. God bless you and God bless His Word.